Hello there. Actually, you know what? We should do we, we should we should do the Obi Wan hello there. If we're gonna do a Star Wars episode, hold on. Let's okay. Let's do that. <laughs> hello there, and welcome, <laughs> folks, to a brand new episode of the Omega Metroid Podcast. As you can see we are Dakota Latsky list. We are Andy's materialist, but that is okay because I have someone else from another one of Andy's podcasts. We have Allison with us. You might remember them. From our couple times that we've done our Omega Metroid vs. Zelda cast uh, Q&A challenge. And they're back to talk about a game that if you know your Omega Metroid lore that I have been dying to talk about for a long time. And we're doing it just in time for the release of Jedi Fallen or uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. We are talking about Jedi Fallen Order with Allison Elitha. How are you doing today, Allison? Doing pretty good. I um, I'm really excited to talk about this because I didn't really have a lot of people to talk about Fallen Order, and I think this is kind of fun because I don't know much about Metroid, but I'm curious to see how they like you know are kind of similar. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for, I guess for our audience, uh, we should talk about maybe I think what are our backgrounds with Star Wars? What uh, you know, what is our familiarity with the series? Because because I know what your familiarity is, and I know that you are primed for this topic. Pun not intended for Metroid. <laughs> um, I don't. I mean, my as you can see from my background, though I don't know if the listeners listeners will be able to see, but I got a lot of Star Wars stuff. I love Star Wars. I actually am like a new Star Wars fan, but I kind of like took in a lot of content within three years. So I would say I've watched all the movies. I've watched um, the majority of the shows, including the animated ones. Um, I've read at least one book and now I've played Fallen Order. So I'm pretty like I do. I did a pretty deep dive into it, I'll say. Yeah, I'm I'm about I'm about there as well. I also have a lot of Star Wars gaming experience. I'm definitely very fond of like the um, the uh, mid to early 2000s era of Star Wars games and I think that's going to be very relevant in talking about this discussion because I think before we talk about this game of um, of uh, Jedi Fallen Order, I think it's important to look at the context this game came out in because it's a bit different than a lot of other Star Wars releases. So, so Star Wars games were hot in the '90s and and um, early to late 2000s. Like that was like the prime time era of Star Wars gaming. I mean, you had stuff, you know, like X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. Um, you had Dark Forces, Jedi Academy, uh, Battle the, o the OG Battlefronts 1 and 2. Um, uh, what, am I, what am I thinking of? Uh, the Rogue Squadron trilogy, one of my favorite gaming trilogies of all time. Um, uh, Republic Commando, a phenomenal uh, first-person shooter, which you can get pretty cheap nowadays. But yeah, phenomenal game, uh, absolutely phenomenal games. Um, and then... So back in 2012, I believe it is, when Disney bought out Lucasfilm, they ended up shooting, uh, shutting down LucasArts, which are, you know, the developers of the majority of the Star Wars games. And, you know, that was met with a lot of controversy. I myself was very disappointed at that because I think they're an incredibly talented studio. And as a result, um, the level of Star Wars games that we gotten had just massively decreased. Like, it used to be like... Year, either yearly or bi-yearly releases and the games were quite diverse too but then that release schedule just slowed to a crawl because you didn't have that studio anymore and so instead what would happen is the ip would get uh would exclusively um uh get shipped off to other to other development studios which still happened while lucas arts was formed but now that is exclusively how these games were going to be made from this point forward and so a lot of people so a lot of people were skeptical of it 
And then in 2013, um, at the uh, EA press conference, they announced that they were doing a Battlefront reboot. And I lost my damn mind. <laughs> Metroid titles aside, this might have been the loudest I've screamed during an E3 reveal because the nice. the Battlefront games, the, those original Battlefront games are close to my heart, an important part of my childhood. My friends and I, we would do local split screens uh, countless times. It was like the epitome of like smashing your action figures together, but on a digital battlefield. And to see that coming back on the modern consoles just was awesome. And then the game released, and it was fine. I think a lot of people are a bit hyperbolic on the game's quality. I think it's a fine game. It's a solid title, but it definitely pales in comparison to those original. And then Battlefront 2 uh, came out a couple couple of years later, and it looked like they were listening to a lot of the feedback on about, about that game. But then there was the whole loot box scandal and all that, and just Star Wars games was just not in a good place. place. And... Um, just after that, we got the trailer for Jedi Fallen Order. And at this time, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of um, EA's, um, I guess EA was never really looked at as like a good company. But like after the Battlefront 2 and all and all that handling, like their reputation was like in the toilet for gamers at that time. And so a lot of people were just kind of shrugging off Jedi Fallen Order. And I, I was kind of one of them to an extent. I looked at I looked at the game and I'm like, it looks fine. Looks like a fun little adventure game but like it's ea i don't trust him mm. and then the game came out reviews reviews were mostly positive when they came out and i considered you know what maybe i'll buy this at a discount and so the following year after 2019 when it came out in 2020 i ended up buying the game on sale uh for about 20 dollars, i think and man i fell in love with this game and if I had if I had played this in 2019, it probably would have been my game of the year. My current game of the year for 2019 is Luigi's Mansion 3. But if I I think <laughs> nice. I think this might have topped Luigi's Mansion 3 for me because every aspect of this game, it's not a perfect game, far from a perfect mm -hmm. game, but every aspect of this game just works for me from the storytelling to the gameplay um to um to the environments and the art direction um and the characters are so good. And so and so I just absolutely love this game. And ever since then, I've been trying to get more people uh, to try this game, especially nowadays, because you can get this game for dirt cheap. I mean, it's very, very common to find this on sale for like five to seven dollars, depending on which edition you get. It's on Game Pass on both the Xbox and PC. It's on the PlayStation Plus Essentials. So it's a very easy, accessible title. And um, yeah, I would definitely recommend a lot of people checking it out. What about you, Allison? How did you get into trying out Jedi Fallen Order? Um, well, like I said, I was I'm kind of new to Star Wars about three years into it. I was mostly indifferent, like growing up. Um, but uh, so I wanted to kind of dip my toes into the video game side of it. And, and it was just another motivator to get myself a PlayStation because there were a few PlayStation games that I had been wanting to play but haven't been able to because I didn't have one. So um, I got myself a PlayStation and I went ahead and um, got Fallen Order first. <laughs> and I, I thought it was a good game to uh, start off with because one, it's newer and two, it's like it takes place in a very prime like area of the story that I enjoy. So like post Order 66 kind of stuff and it and I can connect it to a lot of the shows that are coming out right now. A lot of, um, like, uh, 
I don't know if anybody here has seen, you know, the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, but there's a couple connections to that show. So I was super excited to actually see those connections. So yeah, I just finally picked it up and started playing. And while I agree, it's not a perfect game. I loved it. I, I, I mean, aside from like Lego Star Wars, I wasn't sure how a Star Wars game was going to play, but, and I'm not the best at like the, like fast combat games, but I really enjoyed being able to play as a Jedi and, you know, make the the snap decisions on what to do and how to solve puzzles, how to, you know, carve through enemies, basically. And, um, and I really liked it. And plus, it has a really, like, compelling story. So, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, since we're talking about the story right now, I was thinking we could talk about the gameplay since that does tie more into the Inspired by Metroid right. theme. But since we're already on the story... Um, you want to just get that, uh, you want to just get that to that now, or, or actually should we wait till the end to do that? Um, maybe do a little spoiler warning at the end for people in case they yeah, want to. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the story at the end. Give you all a little spoiler warning in case you want to experience it for yourself. I guess we'll just go right into the gameplay then for this game. So this game is really interesting because it has, it takes a, a inspiration from a lot of different series, including Metroid. Um, you know, it has this kind of back and forth, um, um, multi-layered backtracking traversal that you'd find in a Metroidvania. It also incorporates um, the scanning feature from Metroid Prime, although I don't think it does it quite as well as it does in Metroid Prime. So, so, so Allison, I know, I know you've played Super Metroid. I don't believe you've played anything besides that, correct? I've only played Super Metroid. It was my first Metroid game. I lost a bet to Andy Spiteri. And so I had to play Super Metroid. I really liked it. He should have just told me that there was a baby alien involved and that I would have played it without making a bet. So, but I really enjoyed it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Super Metroid is goaded. I, I love it. It's not quite my favorite like Andy's is, but I mean, it's a phenomenal game nonetheless. And I don't think you'll mm -hmm. find many people that disagree with that. But um, so the scanning feature in Metroid Prime, basically you have what's called a visor system in that game. Uh, and and I, I know, I know this is, just basic stuff for most of the audience, but I just want to explain it to you to kind of get you get you set up for how it translates yeah. to Fallen Order. But yeah, basically, so you have your combat visor. That's like your basic first-person view. That's where you're, like, shooting everything. Uh, and then you can also change different modes, like an X-ray vision or a thermal vision. But one of the default visors you get at the beginning is the scan visor. And what, what happens then is you put, your, uh, you put your cannon down and you enter scan mode, and you can see all of the objects in the game that you're able to scan. And instead of shooting them, you actually scan them and you can learn information about that. And that's also how you mm -hmm. collect, um, you can you can collect the game's lore that way. You can scan enemies and learn more about them, potential weak points, or just learn more about the environment in general. And um, it's a fan favorite visor and a really cool way to um, introduce environmental storytelling. And Jedi Fallen Order has a scanning feature that is definitely based off of the off of it from prime though i don't think it's done quite as well because basically the way it works is your little droid buddy uh bd bd1 or is it bd8 i can't remember it's bd1 bd1 yeah. you know what i'm getting it confused with bb8 from the other trilogy that's that's what it gotcha. is yeah so bd1 yeah. A, a wonderful droid buddy uh, gotta gotta mm -hmm. love him but um so he'll he'll randomly walk up to objects and then you'll get a little prompt uh, on the bottom of your D-pad, if you're playing with a controller, to scan the object, and that's and that's basically kind of like the scan visor, except that you have to wait for BD1 to do it automatically. You don't get the choice to do mm -hmm. it whenever you want, and sometimes BD1 just will not scan an object, and that happened to me on uh, one of my most recent playthroughs. I was 
uh, I was facing one of the mini bosses on Bagano. Um, it, it was like I, I can't remember. I think it's the Abogabo. It's the it's the super variant that you encounter after you leave the temple for the first time. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The one the one that hits hard. So I just defeated yep. that, and I was like waiting. <laughs> I was waiting for BD one to like give me the cue to scan, and he just didn't do it, and he faded out from existence. Like, okay, well. Ah. Uh. Okay. Uh, if this was Metroid Prime, I could have just scanned him even even you know before any of that. But uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Minor nitpick aside, um, it's a it's a really uh, really cool uh, environmental storytelling feature, nonetheless. Though I hope that in Survivor that you do get a little bit more control over that, because I think it would be I think it would be a lot more helpful to do that, and also just uh, maybe a better way to like cue what objects are and aren't scannable. Because in Metroid Prime, it's very obvious to tell. In the first game, there's a little there's like an icon that's layered on top of it, but in two and three, which is definitely my preference, the objects are like completely highlighted altogether. So like you cannot miss if an object is um, scannable or not. But in this game, some of the objects are highlighted and some of them aren't. And, you know, you're just kind of, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of weird. There isn't really a consistent visual design on them, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um. I do, like I did appreciate that. Um. And it's usually, like you said, it's just prompted by BD1 kind of like hopping off of Cal's shoulder and like moving over to an area. But if you kind of miss the hitbox for that, you miss the item, you don't really know what BD1 is going to want to scan or not. Um, and I wanted 100% that game. So I had to go back through and, uh, you know, kind of find those and look them up. So I can agree that it's not perfect, but it is pretty cool. I will say that I just finished um, another game, Horizon Zero Dawn, and they have a similar scanning feature. And it's actually pretty cool. And I think uh, after what you described to me, to me for Metroid, it's similar to that where you can prompt it on your own. Um, sometimes it gives you a little like signal to like, oh, hey, there's a signal out there. I should scan it. Um, but yeah, you kind of use it to not so much your environment, but a lot of the machines that you fight in that game. So that might be a better version of what um, Fallen Order tried to do. So yeah, I would agree. I hope that it does kind of improve in Survivor, whereas you uh, maybe get more prompted by the environment rather than BD1 because, like I said, I didn't know what BD1 wanted to scan until he was scanning it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of have you kind of have to like pay attention to like what he what he does because he'll pop off your shoulder mm -hmm. and you have to follow him. And sometimes it's a short distance away and you can do it, but sometimes he'll just like go off on his own little adventure and like it becomes like a wild yeah. goose chase. And if you miss it, then <laughs> then you miss it and it's over. Yep. So yeah. A little bit of annoying, but again, nothing game-breaking, nothing that like lowers the letter grade by any means. It's just kind of a quality mm -hmm. of life improvement that I think uh, can be worked on uh, for the next entry. So yeah, and then obviously, the mo that's, that's one aspect of it, but obviously the most obvious aspect of the uh, Metroidvania element is uh, the backtracking and um, doing mm -hmm. so through the use of new abilities, which in this case is the, uh, the force power-ups in this game. So basically the way it works is throughout the adventure, Cal... So at the beginning of the adventure, Cal is com is almost completely disconnected from the Force to survive because otherwise he will be punted like he will be shortly after the start of the adventure. And so throughout the course of the adventure, um, he, he reminisces about his teachings uh, with his master, Jaro Tapal. And throughout those, you do these little tutorial sequences of him as a Padawan learning the Force abilities. And that's like him basically relearning them in real life. And that's how you get these abilities that will let that will allow you to um, traverse these pathways. Uh, you get the wall run at first, and then um, 
I didn't, I, um, in my most recent playthrough, I didn't get, um, I only finished the first Pagano sequence, so I was just about to land on Zepho before we started recording, so I can't remember the order of the other power-ups, but I know you get a double jump later, you can start force pulling, uh, you get force pull and force push abilities later, um, mm -hmm. and I can't remember the exact order you get those, but that's basically, that's basically the equivalent of the power-ups you'd get in a Metroid game, and they also, they also come in very handy during combat as well which is um, part of the Metroid experience as well. Um, the, the force pull and force push in particular are like super fun to use on um, Stormtroopers, yeah. just absolutely ragdolling them across the map. It's so satisfying. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. That was like kind of what I meant about really enjoying being a Jedi because you like see how Jedi are in the movies or in the shows and stuff. And especially in like older versions, it's not as like, it's not as scary to be on it like now that we're seeing like more newer stuff and technology is getting better jedi and their force powers and like sith and stuff and their force powers are kind of scary if you think about it so it was kind of cool to like have that power through the game and to be able to like just either push a bunch of stormtroopers off of like cliffs or whatever or like pull them into you and just annihilate them that was super cool i really did enjoy that yeah, and you know, I think that might be a good way to segue into the uh, combat section of the game and leave our uh, leave this little Metroid bubble for now. So the combat, from my understanding, is based heavily on Dark Souls, a game that I have not played yet, but likely will someday. Um, not just the combat, but also the save system as well, from my understanding. But uh, what were your thoughts on the combat in this game, Allison? Um, it always like I like I said, I'm not the best at like fast combo combat games because i'm not like a very like swift player i guess i don't have very good movement um but so it always like takes me a good minute to kind of figure things out and figure out the controls and the buttons that you need to press and maybe uh pick up patterns and what button combos you could use or trying to think more on the fly and what would work best so it did take me a minute and if anybody's like me it will take you a minute but once I got the groove and once I kind of got it down, I really enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed being able to, one, pick the lightsaber style that you get to fight with, whether it's single, double-bladed. Um, I really kind of wish that at closer to the end you get um, uh, upgrade to the lightsaber where you can pull it, them, pull it apart and then you have two lightsabers versus just the single double-bladed one. Um, I, I want to see more of that in the next game. And I think from the trailer that you do, because it's very, it's more like just a move where you can do that for like a hot second. So I'd love to see that more, but yeah, they integrate so much with, you know, you go through your adventure, you unlock power-ups, you unlock lightsaber moves, um, you unlock all these different like kind of power moves that you can then start to put into your pattern of combat or your style of combat to fight these patterns of these enemies that you know gradually increase in difficulty as you get go through the game so i appreciated it i thought it was well paced um as uh, for me because like i said i struggled a little bit so it wasn't like crazy off the bat for me and it was easy to learn and gradually grow with it as well as it did through the game yeah, I'm definitely inclined to agree with you. So, um, so when I restarted my playthrough, I thought I was just gonna be, um, I thought I was just gonna be hot stuff, and I was like, you know what? I'll do, I'll, I'll do the Jedi Master difficulty. Why not? I did normal last time. Oh no! I'll, I'll, I'll do, Je <laughs> I'll do Jedi Master. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a gamer. I, I can do this. Uh, absolutely not. I, I could not get past like a basic squadron of stormtroopers. That was, mm. that was brutal. 
on a Jedi Master difficulty, and it's it's really in that parry timing, like like yeah, like they hit hard on that difficulty too. You can only take like maybe a hit or two before you die, so you have to be perfect. But it's that mm-hmm. par- that parry timing is brutal, and it takes a lot of time to get used to because the parry time it's the parry timing is never what you think it's going to be. So you would expect the parry timing to be. Like when the um, when the blaster is about to collide with you, or when an enemy's attack is about to hit you, but you have to time it just before then, and it's it always throws my timing off a lot. So I had to I had to lower the difficulty to increase that window to do it to to get myself used to that just in time for the podcast. I do want to practice a lot more though, because like I can imagine playing through that game without you know without taking hits has to be like so much fun once you like really find the groove. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. it has a very steep learning curve, but it also has a wide variety of difficulty options, I think, to accommodate you, regardless of what kind of skill level you have with these kind of games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I usually, like, I'm always tempted to pick the easier option because I'm like, oh, I usually just kind of suck right off the bat. But then I know that I would get bored later on, like, once I finally picked it up. So I usually do the normal Um which some people are probably like, I, I I do the harder mode and it's fine. I'm like, that's great, good for you. <laughs> I can't do that. Um, the the parry thing is is super cool because you see that in the movies and the shows, and they make it look because oh, they're Jedi, so they make it look so easy and it's like second nature to them. But like, when you have to do it in the game, you're like, wow, it did really take them a lot of training to get there because <laughs> it's taken me forever. Um, so no, yeah, I really I really like that aspect of it too. Yeah, I always I always do normal mode on most games too. The one exception is FPSs. I usually I usually go at least hard mode for those on my first run just because like I'm a bit more experienced in that realm. But yeah, generally I like to do I like to do normal on my first playthrough and so that's generally that's what I did the first time I played Fallen Order and um I'll probably honestly I'll probably do it again when I do do my second playthrough cuz uh man, that learning curve is steep. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Regardless, a very fun combat system, I think. Once you do get that parry down, it is so satisfying, you know, to just to plow through enemy after enemy, to just time everything right. And it looks so, like, credit to the animators at Respawn, which is yes. the um, the studio that made this game owned by EA. Like, the animations in this game are so beautiful and fluid, and everything just seamlessly flows together so much. Even in combat scenarios where you're, like, constantly shifting between you know, all these different locations and stances and whatnot. And it's just, so, it's just so cool to see on screen once you like, um, once you start really diversifying your combos and stuff. Mm-hmm. I agree. So that's the combat aspect of the game. And then there's one more part of the game, which is the puzzle solving aspect of the game, which takes a lot of inspiration from the Tomb Raider and Zelda series. I think uh, the Tomb Raider in part- series in particular, because you're literally um, exploring tombs in a few cases but mm-hmm. but yeah this is um but yeah this is also um something i really think complements um kind of the metroidvania gameplay because typically you're using your abilities you know um for traversal and that's the metroidvania aspect of it but once you get to these tombs um it starts turn it starts using those same abilities and using them in a way that fits more of these other genres and um, particularly the second temple. The first, the first one I thought was okay, but the second one you go to, um, uh, I believe, 
Yeah, you know what? Because there's two temples on Zepho, if I remember correctly. And it's like, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's two temples on Zepho. And the second one you go to, I really enjoyed that one. And I really loved all the creative uses for that. And especially, it actually kind of reminded me of the Water Temple from Ocarina of Time in particular. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, right? Yeah. I'm one of the few people that actually likes the water temples, so I didn't mind it's it. It's really not, yeah, it's really not that bad. Most, I, I would say, most Zelda fans that are like kind of like Andy and I level, they don't really think that the water temple's that hard. <laughs> it's more of a casual gamer thing or a casual Zelda fan thing. Um, yeah, I would agree. I the the cool part is that the puzzles in, incorporate the the force, um, you know, the force power that you are relearning uh, or that Cal is relearning. So the first one is I want the push. So it's kind of like uh, these ancient beings are teaching through um, more than just the force, like with other elements and technology, how the force kind of works more of a visual. And then Cal relearns and reconnects to the force that way by seeing it and solving these puzzles. And then it's like, it kind of unlocks in his brain. Um, you know, also while he's working through his trauma and stuff. And then the second one has, has the push. So you, you, uh, I like the second one too, because the puzzles include both pull and push. And one of the cooler puzzles is usually when you have to like pull a lamp that has fire on it and like push it somewhere else to catch like vines or something on fire. So you kind of have to use some quick movement there, but also figure out, okay, well, which lamp is closer to this vine or I'm seeing vines where the heck is the lamp that I need to catch fire to this and it kind of like does this whole puzzle thing and then sometimes there's water in the way which was super annoying but also made me feel super smart when I figured out how to go around it. So the puzzle aspects are really cool. I wouldn't say it was quite Zelda level just because it was mostly focused in the, the temples or quote unquote the dungeons of the game and some mm -hmm. of it a lot of it is overworld exploration so that's only just a fraction of the game so i wouldn't say it's quite like up to that to zelda's like level of puzzle solving but i i definitely got zelda vibes from it yeah that's i was specifically comparing it to the dungeons and those types of uh those mm -hmm. types of zelda games that's the comparison i was making there but yeah but yeah, definitely Zelda, and then definitely, um, definitely Tomb Raider. I don't know if you're familiar with the Tomb Raider games at all. Oh, it's been so long since I played a Tomb Raider game. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I like the Tomb Raider games a lot. I think I prefer the classic ones more than the uh, the new Tomb Raider games. They're still fine, but they, um, they, they take themselves a bit too seriously. I'm, a, and I'm, a, mm -hmm. I much prefer the more goofy and cheesy kind of Tomb Raider games. Okay. But I, I do, th I do think the gameplay in them is pretty cool though, and it definitely, um. But it definitely it definitely harkened back to a lot of those older titles, which I really liked, for sure. Nice. So that marks kind of the gameplay that you're going to get in this game. You know, you have the combat of a Souls-like game with the exploration of a Metroidvania, and then puzzle solving of a Tomb Raider, along with maybe some Zelda dungeon-esque. And that's kind of the experience you're going to get in Jedi Fallen Order. Of course, wrapped in a Star Wars skin. And... Mm -hmm. You know, I think that anybody, regardless if they're a Star Wars fan or not, can enjoy that game just on those merits alone. That being said, if you are a Star Wars fan, though, I do think you're going to get a lot more out of this game. Uh, because it does take place in a really cool and, frankly, surprisingly unexplored part of the Star Wars universe that I'm glad we're really starting to get more information on. Um, you mm -hmm. know, with stuff like this, um, Kenobi, Andor, which I think is the best Star Wars project ever made, in my opinion. I loved Andor. Andor is, great. Andor is incredible. I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, and so it's really cool to, to see all that connected together. Um, let's talk about the characters 
in this story. Okay. Not, not, not necessarily the story itself. Let's talk about the characters in the story. So obviously we got our main character, Cal Kestis. I'm going to pull up the IMDB here, uh, played by Cameron uh, Monaghan. Uh, we have our um, our main secondary. Where are you, Deborah Wilson, who plays Sir Junda, kind of the uh, the master to the apprentice in this case? We have Daniel Roebuck uh, plays the amazing Grease Drydus, might be my favorite character <laughs> in this adventure. I love Grease. Uh, Elizabeth Grulon, who plays Trilla Sunduri, ooh mystery character. Um, and then we got. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's basically... No, we have one more. We have Tina Evlev, who plays uh, Night Sister Marin, uh, who you'll get to know uh, about the last third of your adventure. She doesn't come into play until very late in the game, but a very, very memorable character nonetheless. What did you think about the mm -hmm. characters in this adventure, Allison? I, I really appreciated the characters because it helped, like... You know, like you said, it's like a Star Wars skin, but like you really felt like you were a part of Star Wars because of these characters, because they have experienced stuff that I've been watching throughout the Star Wars, like I don't, all the content of Star Wars. So Cal Kestis, who, um, you know, was a, a Padawan during Order 66. Um, and so he's kind of dealing with a lot of stuff. You got Seer, who also went through Order 66 and was captured by the Empire, so she's got her own nonsense going on. Um, not that it's nonsense, it's actually pretty traumatic. And then Grease, Grease was absolutely hilarious. He was definitely, like, a really fun character, although he almost gets you killed a number of times. So, <laughs> um, I like to give him crap for that. Um, uh, Trilla was definitely, like, kind of a, a, a shock there. Um, you know, we'll talk about that in the spoiler portion of the show. And then, actually, my favorite character was Marin, who... I always thought the the Night Sisters were kind of like gross and not a fun time, but I loved her. I loved her so much, and I I really hope she's like a pretty integral part of the second game because she's I I just adore her. Yeah, I have I absolutely love these characters. Cal. So when I first played this game, I thought Cal was kind of a bland, weak character, and I really yeah yeah I wasn't uh, like I I didn't I didn't dislike him, but I was just like okay, he's just kind of a standard protagonist. But as the adventure, okay. but as the adventure progresses and you start to learn more about him, I really think that they do a well, a, a good job of like turning him into a really interesting character. Okay. Especially because of the choices he has to make at the end, uh, which mm -hmm. are very difficult, but choices that he has to make. Which we'll we'll get to that in the spoiler section. But yeah, I really, I, I really ended up enjoying what the game did with him. Um, uh, Seer, I, I thought was a really great supporting character. I um I'm a big fan in general of uh, Deborah Wilson. Um, she plays a lot of um a lot of on screen gaming characters, and it, like she has a very recognizable face. And so I remember uh, playing the uh, the Modern Warfare reboot and seeing and seeing her. I was like, Yo, that's Seer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So yeah, uh, big big fan of Deborah Wilson. I think she does a tremendous job in this role as well. Um, really curious to see where her character goes, and then. My man, my man, Grease. Oh my gosh, I, I, I love this guy so much. You start this, you start the game off with him just completely on the wrong foot. You guys don't like each other. He hates your guts. You're annoyed with him, whatever. But then, as the adventure slowly continues, you start to warm up to each other, and it's just, it's super wholesome, and I love it. And he's just, mm -hmm. he, he's, um, I, I think he's an example of good comedic relief in Star Wars because there's obviously, yes. as we know, a lot of bad comedic relief uh, to go <laughs> yeah, around. <there> is. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, uh, agree. I would say, like, I, maybe, maybe I kind of had, like, um, 
an already formed opinion about Cal going into it because it's obviously I've only played it this year and so it's or maybe like December but it's obviously been out for a couple years so I've seen like I've seen him around in stuff like on social media and stuff but I I'm surprised like the whole story wasn't honestly spoiled for me I somehow avoided that over like the course of three years um so maybe I already had kind of this formed opinion about him but I did really enjoy uh I did really like him um and I would I will say that you know his story is similar to a lot of like exist the Jedi that are still existing after Order sixty six so it's not it wasn't like new to see what he was going through and what was you know going on with him and hiding his you know force his force sensitivity to not be murdered and um, just trying to live his life after his trauma but um, I do appreciate how much he grows um, how much he kind of opens up and is willing to accept help and, um, you know, do something greater than what he was doing for five years after that, you know, that horrific event. Um, so yeah, I really, I really liked him and I liked something that I appreciated through playing the game was at the beginning, I was like, this is Cal's journey. But when you get to a point that we'll talk about in the, uh, the spoiler section, you get to a point with him and I was like, this is our journey. I'm with him on this and we're doing this together. And I felt very connected to Cal and, um, part of, uh, one of the th one of the aspects of the game is you get to customize a lot of your stuff, how he looks, how your how his lightsaber looks, and I was trying really hard to keep it um, how it was because he you know inherited it from his master. But then when we get to this point, I was like, I feel more I feel better about customizing things because this is our adventure. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? So I really liked that the game like kind of created that for me. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. I pretty much did the exact same thing with the lightsaber customization. Uh, for me. It was, um, I, I won't go into spoilers, but I, um, I, all I will say is the ice planet. That's for me was the moment where I was like, you know what? This lightsaber is mine exactly. now. That's, yep. yep. That's when, that's where we're, we're going to start breaking from the mold and uh, start doing things our own way. That's, that's all I'm mm -hmm. going to say for now. Um, I will say I, um, I thought some of the customization in this game was kind of weak. Uh, particularly, Just a little partic bit, yes. particularly with the ponchos. I like, I like all the other customization. I thought that was fine. But I thought I thought the poncho system was kind of weak, and especially because um, the only way you unlock ponchos is through um, is through crates on the map. There's no other way you can unlock them, and the designs are mm -hmm. pretty limited for what they are. It seems like Jedi Survivor is fixing that. It looks like there's going to be a lot more variety in the um, in the clothing cool. customization in that game. So really excited to see how that turns out. So yeah, I agree. I I did not like the ponchos. I thought they were. Thought they were kind of dumb, but I my brother was kind of like hanging out with me while I was playing this game, and he's like, "I wonder if he's always wearing ponchos because the game is so like wet. He everywhere he goes, there's like water and like he's running through a swamp. He's running through these tombs that have water. He's running through, uh, just everywhere has water. And I was like, that's a good point. <laughs> Maybe that is why he has ponchos. It literally, so literally in the first cutscene when he enters the Bagano Temple. He takes a seat, but instead of taking a seat on the stone that's above water, he sits his butt down in the water and just <laughs> and it. just soaks himself yeah. for no reason. Like I do remember that, yeah. Like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> um, I will say though that getting those upgrades, uh, that um, because it's not a lot of weapon upgrades that you unlock, um, by retraversing the game like you do or like I remember in Super Metroid, 
but the, a lot of the upgrades when you do when you unlock new powers and you get to go back and uh, re-explore er new areas um, is those like the customization. So the ponchos, how BD1 looks, how the mantis looks, and how the lightsaber looks. So if you're into the customization stuff, you definitely want to be going back and retraversing those areas and um, using your new abilities to unlock those. Yeah, and you can even collect early up upgrades by doing so, particularly um, the double-bladed lightsaber. So you're supposed to yes. collect that. You're supposed to collect that when you um, when you hit Dathomir, which is going to be the last planet on your journey. Um, but you can actually collect that in Bogano after you collect. Um, I think it's the double jump upgrade. I could be mistaken. It's been a, it's been a while since I played through that portion of the game. But you can actually. I do remember like getting it and i was like when did i get that but it's just like it's an upgrade table so every time you get to an upgrade table you upgrade the lightsaber but i was like when did i pick that up like <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah so if you um if you play your cards right you can actually um upgrade to the double bladed like way earlier than you're Pretty supposed early. to and it's absolutely mm -hmm. sick um it allows you to block multiple um blaster bolts in one th so typically you have to click the parry button on every single bolt that comes your way. But when you get the double-bladed, you just have to click it once, and then every bolt that comes your way um, before you put it down will automatically be um, blocked back at the enemy. Which is especially, um, not only is it good for um, if you're being swarmed by enemies, it's really good for uh, once you start encountering uh, miniguns with super high rates of fire. You can just block, oh, yeah. you can just block all of that and just insta-kill like that. So mm -hmm. I will say that I... Once I got that upgrade, and then I was like, why am I dying so much all of a sudden? I figured out I sucked with the double-sided lightsaber. So <laughs> I usually stuck with the with the regular lightsaber, and that helped immensely. But I, when I got that upgrade, I was like, this is so sick. And then I was using it, and I was like, wow, I'm dying all the time. <laughs> I think it's just because I wasn't, I wasn't great at the new fighting style that Cal took on. Yeah, they occupy very different. So the single-bladed lightsaber is best for one-on-ones. Um, the double-bladed mm -hmm. is good for crowd control and a and again, um, you know, repelling back those blaster bolts, and uh, you know, being able being able to find the perfect situations for each is um is how you get the best out of both of them. But uh, but yeah, definitely, I definitely tend to stick to the one bladed for sure. That definitely is the most reliable on just that raw combat and just the parries mm -hmm. and all that. So we've talked about the gameplay, we've talked about the characters. Let's talk about this adventure. Let's talk about the stories. Let's talk about our favorite moments from this adventure. So let's get right into the right into the tutorial sequence because I think this is such a phenomenal setup to this game. I uh, I love the way that the busted Star Destroyer pans in just like the just like a classic Star Wars film but with a new twist. Um you know, instead of that that Star Destroyer um heading onto the Tantum IV, you have a busted um Jedi Star Cruiser on the planet of Braca, which is uh which has now appeared uh in Bad Batch as well. Uh, for people who uh, are interested in watching that, but um, but yeah, really cool there. Um, and then we see um, Cal uh, and his pal um, uh, uh, Prof. I think it is. I think Prof. Prof is I think his it's name. Prof. Yeah. yeah. Prof. Yeah. And um, and basically, you know, they're uh, they're scrap workers. Um, you know, tearing apart these old ships that are coming coming down on the planet. Um, and then this is basically how you learn the controls, and you basically are just parkouring in uh, gymnasium your wing. Uh, through this industrial scrapyard, um, it's a really, really cool sequence that gets you adjust, adjust to the controls, and then a freak accident happens, and one of the star destroyers' yeah. couplings falls because they're not powered on right now. They're they're being hoisted up by cranes. The power coupling falls, and you both fall down. Prof is about to fall to his death, and the only way you can save him 
is by using the force. The one thing that you should never be using in a post order 66 world. And just like that, the Imperials are on, are on Cal. They kill prof Cal's on the run and he's rescued by seer. And that is our, basically our quick tutorial sequence. Obviously, you know, we're, you know, we're doing the cliff notes version, but uh, Allison, what did you think of these opening moments of Jedi fallen order? Um, my instant thought, and I don't know if there's a game previous to this series that incorporated this like level of parkour, but my my connection was Prince of Persia. I was like, this is Prince of Persia all over the jumping and the jumping between things. And uh, I, it's hard to say just the parkour in general was very Prince of Persia to me. So I instantly loved it because I remember loving those games. And it was a good way to kind of show you to also pay attention to your surroundings. Video games are very good at like spray painting the ledges that you can grab onto <laughs> so pay attention to your surroundings um also the intro music to that game was phenomenal it reminded me of like the um oh uh, like the goblins or whatever in the hobbit movie their little troll their little goblin song in the mountain but um i thought that was cool because that was very like that was a little bit different than the star wars music we're used to so i love that um, but yeah, it was definitely like a start to where you were just like, oh no, I'm going to have to use the force at one point and like the inquisitors are going to be after Cal and that's what they did. And it was, I thought it was good. Like they did a good job and you know, hats off the prof because he could have turned Cal in for probably a heavy penny, but he didn't. He was a good friend. Yeah. He, he's a real homie, you know, get you a homie like mm -hmm. prof for real. Yeah. Um, Allison, you know what I love? I love trains <laughs> and you know what? Okay. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really simple guy. You put a train in something, and I'm going to enjoy it. And what, is this, okay. and what does this game do? They have a train. Yeah. <laughs> right after everything right after everything goes bad and you're on the run, you fall, and what do you land on? A hover train. A train. Mm -hmm. I am in paradise at this moment. You're just and, and this is where the game teaches you about the combat. So, so before then, it mm -hmm. was teaching you about traversal. It teaches you combat on your train, and you're working your way from the from the back of the train all the way to the front like it's snow piercer <laughs> yeah like a much lighter snow piercer and this is where you learn how to deflect enemies where you learn about the parrying mechanics um and there's all sorts of stuff going around um i've actually never played a prince of persia game before but what this did remind oh, okay. me yeah but what this did remind me of uh was uh the uncharted games uh it okay i, got, I haven't played those <laughs> Uh, tech, I've never played those either. I've just watched. Uh, I've just watched gameplay of those okay. on YouTube. I, I've never owned. Um, I've never owned a PS3 or a PS4. Or so, but um, it did remind me a lot of of the Uncharted, especially with kind of the way the railings are painted. I thought it was a lot better than those games, though, because Uncharted, it's very explicit what you can and can't climb onto, and it almost it doesn't quite blend into the environment. It's like, okay, well, that's that's a bit obvious in this game it's still mm -hmm. it's still obvious but the game does a lot of really clever tricks to like blend it to like blend it in more with the environment so that it's still still recognizable as what you can and can't climb but it doesn't mm -hmm. it doesn't stick out like a, a sore thumb it doesn't it doesn't feel too gamey if that makes sense right yeah yeah and this train sequence just kind of combines all of that you know there's you know there's you know there's you're getting shot up in in this um in this spacecraft um, you know, there's power couplings being disabled, you know, um, cars are getting thrown off the tracks and you have to like slowly work your way through the situation and climb your way through all the wreckage that's happening. Uh, and then it finally culminates with a boss fight against, uh, I can't remember. It's one of the numbered sisters. I can't remember what number she is, 
but uh, she, uh, she's very yeah, menacing. The one that kills the one that kills Prof, and uh, the one who will become mm -hmm. very important later in the story. Um, mm -hmm. But you get um, it's kind of kind of your first taste of the boss fight, an unwinnable boss fight, but a boss fight nonetheless. And it kind of teaches mm -hmm. you of what's going to be in store for you in that regard in your adventure. And that ends off the tutorial sequence. Yes, um, I did like the train. I appreciated the like high stakes way of teaching you how to, um, you know, fight a little bit more of the combat. I will say probably one of the, one of my most ridiculous like or not mine, but one of the things that I think is ridiculous about the game is that you have to press a button when you jump at something to grab it, like a ledge or like a grating. You have to press a button to grab it. He like grabs it and then it's like press R2 to make sure that you grab it. I'm like, he's already on it. Why? Why? Why do I got to press a button? It seems so goofy. Um, I hope they fix that in the second game because <laughs> sometimes I would forget to press the button and then I'd fall to my death. So even though he's already holding on to it. Um, but I do remember getting to, uh, I'm, uh, to the sister, the Inquisitor, and, uh, I've seen a bunch of content on Inquisitors. I've read, um, the Ahsoka book where she fights an Inquisitor and, uh, I was very like overconfident i was like these inquisitors ain't nothing and then of course i don't know how to play this game so i was like i ain't nothing either so i'm pretty sure i'm not supposed to win this fight but it was still a good time um i really i really did like that they show that you can't win this fight because then you know i have to grow with cal as a jedi in order to beat this character later so that was a very good intro to the game well cal Kestis definitely is no ahsoka tahano very few jedi are no. <laughs> very true then again she is no jedi <laughs> there you go yeah so yeah we're rescued we're rescued by seer and we learned that seer uh learned about our whereabouts because they are uh, her and grief are monitoring imperial channels and they found out that the imperials were on to us after we attempted to save prof's life and ultimately failed after he sacrificed uh, sacrificed himself. And basically, they are trying to rebuild the Jedi Order, and they need help. They need to look. They need to look for clues on the planet Bagano. But um, Seer, who used to be a Jedi, has completely cut herself off from the Force and cannot access the Temple. And Grief is not a Jedi at all. So they need your help to do that. So we access the Bagano Temple, and we get. Um, we get our little hologram buddy, thanks to BD1, uh, Jedi Master Eno Cordova, and he has been looking for knowledge from the Zepho, which I gotta say, as a Metroid fan, immediately the Zepho remind me so much of the Chozo from the Metroid series. Okay. Here we have mm -hmm. an advanced technological um, ancient civilization that have mysteriously disappeared for unknown reasons. Although in this game, we actually find out why they disappear at the very end. But yeah, there's mm -hmm. um, a lot of similarities there. Not necessarily a Metroid influence. This is a fairly common trope within sci-fi in general, including, right. including Alien, which is you know a heavy inspiration for Metroid. But I thought it was a I thought it was a really cool connection nonetheless. That is cool because I mean, of course, I wouldn't make that connection. But having played Super Metroid and like being like, oh yeah, they kind of have, and of course, I don't know the lore behind them, but they do kind of have these like what these like little robot dudes that come alive and attack you in Super Metroid, if I remember right. And so do the Zepho. So that's kind of cool. I never would have made that connection. Yeah, yeah. So those are exclusively in Super Metroid, the Torizo, which are like those fake, oh, those okay. fake Shozo statues that'll that'll come to life. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we don't really know too much about them. I, I just assume they're like um, a security system. Okay. But uh, but yeah, 
Um, and I actually, I actually never made that connection before. Cause yeah, in that, in that first temple, there are those, uh, those Zeppo robots that patrol the temple. I wonder, yeah. I wonder if those are loosely inspired by the Teresa or not. Very interesting. May, I don't know. I, when I first saw one, I thought of that robot that Loki sends after Thor in the first Thor movie. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I can see that for yeah. sure. Yeah. It has, it has very mm-hmm. similar, like very stiff movements. I could definitely see mm-hmm. that. So yeah, uh, Eno Cordova, he's basically like, uh, I don't want to say your tour guide, but basically this guy, um, this guy um, is long, long since passed away. He only exists in hologram form and BD1 can only access these holograms after he's scanned specific elements of the environment that Cordona, that Cordona has permitted. And he basically says that, hey, there are these keys that you need to access in these Zepho temples. You need to learn the knowledge about the Zepho, the Zepho to find a holocron that I've hidden, which will lead to um, a list of Force-sensitive children. And this mm-hmm. is exactly what Seer needs to rebuild the Jedi Order. And that's basically, and that's and that's basically our MacGuffin chase for this game. We are trying to find the, yeah. the clues. We are trying to find the keys to make our way to this penultimate MacGuffin. And that's gonna be basically that main thing that our um, that our heroes and villains are going to be fighting their way through the story, and that leads us to the planet Zepho. And uh, Allison, I'm gonna let you take the wheel here since uh, this is where my uh, last playthrough ended just before we started the podcast. I stopped just as we were landing on planet Zepho, and so I'll let you take the wheel on uh, the story and what were your favorite gameplay moments during this section of the game? Um, I, I will say that it took me a second to like catch on to why we were here at this planet. I'm pretty sure Seer says that it's like unchartable. No, the empire doesn't know where it is. And so it was, I was like, Oh, this is kind of like their home base, you know, but it, it actually serves a purpose. She helps you meet BD one whose memories have been wiped by, um, I'm sorry. What is his name? Uh, Eno Cordova. Eno, that's right. Um, the memories have been wiped by Eno because he didn't want anybody else to find BD1 unless BD1 decided to trust somebody. And that would be how he unlocked his memories to help them find this holocron. So you go to this uh, Zepho temple where you meet BD1, you meet uh, Eno, and you kind of take on the quest to find this holocron. And his uh, the Jedi Master's clues to you are the three sages whose tombs you have to go to in order to learn more about the force that the jedi don't necessarily learn that way um but also a threat that um anno had foreseen of basically order 66 that the jedi council didn't listen to which is unfortunate and um yeah, so you just, he gives you these clues that take you to other planets, um, including Dathomir, including Bogano, um, and the the Wookiee one that I can't remember. The uh, Kashyyyk. Kashyyyk, thank you. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how he sets you on this journey to find the Holocron. And it's very, um, it feels very kind of like Zelda-ish. I'm not sure if this is like a Metroid thing too, but it feels very Zelda-ish where they tell you to go to these three areas unlock the secrets and then it'll give you the key that you need to like beat the game so um you go to these three planets and you do come back and revisit them i think one each um even even if you've already explored the temple and unlocked the secret to getting that holocron um and yeah you just it's pretty linear but you still can kind of do things in like kind of an order that you want up until you need skills to progress um 
but yeah, that's that's kind of the gist of the whole game. But a lot of it is exploration too, so it kind of adds some some hours to it. Otherwise, I think you could get it done pretty quickly. <laughs> Yeah, so the three temple structure I definitely associate more with Zelda. There are Metroid games mm -hmm. that have done that before, although I specifically refer to that as Metroid attempting a Zelda formula in that regard. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because when I when I think of the traditional Metroid formula, I think something more akin to Super Metroid, where you know you might spend one time in another area, then you might go to a new area, and then you might backtrack to another area, and then you might backtrack to another area, and then you might go to a new area after that. And it's kind of you're, you know, it's kind of like a road trip where you don't. You don't quite know where you're going to go next. Whereas in Zelda, you you know pretty much. It's like, okay, I'm going to this first temple, then I'm going to the second right. temple, in that order specifically. Right. And this game, it kind of mixes and matches because again, like, you know, there's two temples on Zepho. So you're going to be you're going to be backtracking to that temple, but even still, you're doing all of these in a in a set order, just like what the Zelda dungeons would be. Right. Absolutely. And so tell me a bit more about um, Zepho when you first land there. Because again, I'm still, uh, my memory is still a little bit hazy. I remember some specific gameplay sequences, but I don't know, I don't know the exact order that everything happens because you do have two very different trips to that planet. The first one is like where you're kind of taking on the quest and your goal is to get to that, that initial Zepho like spire that um and the whole planet is very barren looking when you land there um and then it kind of sets you on the quest but then when you come back um you come back and i'm trying to remember i think when you oh gosh i'm getting things like mixed up in my brain but you do come back for a purpose <laughs> i'm having a hard time remembering it for some reason i'm worried that i'm like uh disconnecting it from a different planet but you come back once you're ready to see the secrets that uh the three sages kind of like unlock for you and he cal has like a vision of what it would be like it once he does find the holocron and does uh find these four sensitive children and it's a warning from the Zepho, like in in my opinion, it's a warning from the past Zepho who got a little too greedy, got a little too power hungry, and kind of annihilated their own existence um saying like if you do find these kids you know you're gonna make them a target just as much as you are so it, it, it should that. it should be noted by the way we are in spoiler spoiler territory at this point like it yeah. should be <laughs> in, in case it, in case it wasn't clear like from this point 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 forward uh for anyone who's uh watching or listening to us like all spoilers are on the table so continue mm -hmm. to listen at your own risk yeah so they kind of warn you through the force, through a force vision, that maybe this is not the right quest for Cal to be on. So it makes him have to make a diff difficult decision at the end of the game. But that I'm pretty sure that is the second trip back to Zepho. Yeah, I, I believe so. That makes that makes sense because of another uh, event that we'll get to real shortly. Um, the first yeah. trip. Uh, so what I remember is like they think they um they they think Zepho isn't occupied by the Imperials. You you learn shortly after that's not the case. Like they are very clearly doing something on this planet. They have a that they have a heavy duty mining operation set up, and you actually have to traverse through um some of that equipment. There's this one sequence in particular which is so cool, where these these pistons smashing against this cliffside wall, and you can actually see this. This, this is what's so cool about the game is you can see so many of the um, locations you're going to travel to from a distance. And one mm -hmm. of those locations is like these pistons smashing against the cliffside in real time. And eventually you get there and you have to use your um, 
your uh, your force freeze ability, which is ki- kind of like the stasis ability in Dead Space. Uh, for those who've ever played that game, it's a very very um very similar kind of ability, and you actually have to freeze the pistons so that you can actually move through them. And if you're not quick enough, you will uh, you will be turned into a pancake, which I don't believe <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> is something that Cal desires in this moment. <laughs> Right. Um, and I just I just realized I was getting it confused. I'm thinking I was mixing Bogano and Zepho, but um mm-hmm. Bogano is where all this stuff happened, what I was saying. But yeah, Zepho, you mm-hmm. do come back to quite a couple I mean, I came back I think you're only supposed to come back twice, but I came back quite a few times because I, I wanted hundred percent the game. Same. And it's the biggest it was the biggest place to explore. There were so many sections where come the last time I really didn't want to go back I was kind of over it and I was like I was like I wish I could have done this in the two times that I visited this place you know so I think they might have over like overgone over the line there for the exploration but um yeah it's definitely the biggest area and probably where the most action takes place I would say yeah one thing um one thing I will say about this game kind of kind of deviating from this and going back into kind of the metroidvania portion of this so this game has a lot of backtracking um, you'll be mm-hmm. revisiting planets. You'll be revisiting previous areas. Uh, paths will loop into areas that you've visited before, um, and that will open up uh, a new path that you can explore from there. Um, I don't think this game does it quite as well as Metroid does. A lot of the um, a lot of the pathing in Metroid, or at least at least you know Metroid at its absolute best, it feels very natural. The paths loop into each other. Um, it feels it feels convenient, but not something that's just open open in front of you it's something you have to explore and look for like um uh, i a lot of people criticize metroid dread in this aspect but i actually think it does a phenomenal job in terms of the uh, backtracking and traversal where it gives you the option of traveling a long way if you want to but if you do a little bit of exploring um you can find a much quicker quicker route almost every time that will generally lead you in the right area of what you're looking for um in this game in this game a lot of the pathways they don't really start to open up until that second trip um, when you land on Zepho. Mm-hmm. And um, when you get to Kashyyyk and Dathomir, a lot of those paths are very point A to point B, and there isn't a lot of room to like shortcut your way from. And in terms of Kashyyyk in general, it basically is like one long line from point A to point yeah. B. And so there isn't really a way to like re-navigate yourself and make your way to another portion of the map. And there isn't a mm-hmm. fast travel option either, which I thought was which I thought was a bit strange considering you're in a spaceship and you have landing pads. I thought it would have been, I thought it would have been an easy way to implement some fast travel, kind of similar to um, Metroid prime three. If you ever eventually get to that game. Got you. Um, yeah, I was, I was a little, um, I was a little turned off by the not being able to fast travel to places you've already like explored and visited because especially on Kashyyyk where you said it's like a straight line. I had to go back through that straight line like at least three times if I wanted 100% the game Mm -hmm. Um, because there's a couple very missable items there. So that was kind of frustrating. Um, I would have appreciated if like there's some the save stations which you know are places where Cal can meditate and activate his skill tree and rest and regain his health and all that kind of stuff. I would have liked if you could, you know, go fast travel that way, but I could see why they might have struggled with that cuz they were like, how do we explain this in a in a way that makes sense to Star Wars? Like how can you travel between these points? So I can understand why that that wasn't the case, but that would have been how I would have done it. Um so yeah, I can I can agree with how you go back and re-explore new places and sometimes you do unlock shortcuts, but not all the time. And so hopefully that gets a little bit better with the second game. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree there. 
So you explore the first temple, and then I can't remember why, but that leads you. Um, I, I think you. I think you find a clue that leads to the Zepho being on Kashyyyk as well. And I believe that's what leads you to go to Kashyyyk next. And you do that in the middle of the Imperial invasion on, on Kashyyyk, which is um, really cool. Being able to experience that, um, really cool. Um, really cool sequence of you. You land in. Um, you. I think you dive off the ship and land in the water so that you're undetected. And then mm -hmm. as you're swimming to shore, you see these giant AT-ATs rise out of the water. You actually climb onto one of them uh, because there's some, like, seaweed stuck to it or something. And you actually get to hijack it. And that's... Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm always a sucker for a good, um, for a good hijacking sequence. And the AT-AT is one of my favorite Star Wars vehicles. So being any opportunity I get to pilot one of those is just wonderful. Yeah, um... I, I did like that part. The controlling of the ATAT -AT was very guided, and that's probably for the best because I was not great at it. But um, I, it was cool because you get the attention of the uh, of the you know the people that are helping uh, with that invasion, the start of the rebellion, I should say. But uh, when Saw Gerrera shows up, I was like, Saw Gerrera's here. Like <laughs> I don't really like him, but I I'm, I'm like, oh okay, he's here. So that was kind of cool to see him and, around. And once again, reprised by a uh, Forrest Whitaker, which uh, really, yeah, which really he does surprised. A good job. Because I was, because I was, I remember hearing that. And I was like, wow, this this guy's saw impersonation is really good. And sure enough, in the credits, like, nope, that is indeed Forrest Whitaker. I love that Star Wars projects will come back to these actors, um, like like uh, Forrest and Liam ne Liam Neeson, and be like, hey, do you want to just come and do a few lines for your character? And they're like, yeah. All right, cool. I just think that's so cool that they they come back for it, and it's probably just a couple things that they they say and do, and it's great. Yeah, and what I and what I like about this is that it doesn't feel like a forced cameo either. Like it makes sense for Saw to be here. Like yeah, exactly. Like Saw is a freedom fighter. He is like very mm -hmm. very much into the rebellion. Like as soon as well, the rebellion isn't really formed yet, but he's fighting against the Empire. Like as mm -hmm. soon as Order sixty six yeah. goes down, it makes sense that he would be here, um, with Resistance fighters doing all that. And so you kind of, so he doesn't really know what to think of you yet, but he's like, well, you're shooting the guys that we're shooting at too. So why don't we team up? And then you base, mm -hmm. and then, so you basically help him uh, take over the facility. Um, that's a really cool sequence as well. You also encounter uh, some wildlife, which uh, I imagine arachnophobic people are not going to be very uh, fond of. <laughs> they were okay. I'm used to Zelda spiders. So I was like, this is not as bad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like I like the so the base spiders you fight were are fine. It's the super one, uh, the the white mm -hmm. spider you face, it's like the albino. Spider, yeah, yeah, that thing it gave me so much trouble during my first play. It took me so much yeah. time to adjust to that. I died countless times when I faced yeah. that for the first time. Yeah, yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, I there are some parts on Kashyyyk that I don't really care for the wildlife trying to eat you and attack you. Um, I felt that way about Dathomir too, though. Dathomir is just a gross planet in general. But <laughs> so, so this is kind of where. So I don't remember what happens next, but you help Saw take over the facility. Um, mm -hmm. I believe I, I believe you fight off some some ATSTs, the the chicken walker things on the base. Yes. They drop on the base. And then I believe something happens, and this is where you have to go back to Zepho. Is that correct? I want, I, um, I can't, oh, it's because you were looking for the chief, 
he's not there. So they're like, hey, we'll we'll find him for you and we'll call you back. So you're just like, okay, I'll continue my adventure and go to these other places I need to explore to basically continue the story. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what happens because you're looking for him because that's who you know told you to look for on Kashyyyk. Gotcha. Okay. So I yeah, so I believe uh, uh, someone in the comments can correct me if I'm wrong because again, it's been a couple of years since I've played this now, um, at least this part of it. But I believe after this, you go back to Zepho, and this is where we really start getting some major story details, like you said. Mm-hmm. So this time with your new your new force powers, you start to um, explore more of the um, imperial controlled sectors. You uh, you find a crash star destroyer. You um, you know what we haven't talked about one. Uh, one of the most important parts of the uh, the of the storytelling device is the environmental storytelling, and that's the uh, the force psychometry ability. And basically, and this is like a huge story. Oh yeah, yeah. This is a huge storytelling and gameplay device in this game, and it's actually a canon ability in Star Wars. So it's really cool to see this actually implemented in, in as a game mechanic. It's a very effective mm-hmm. one, and basically, it allows Cal to touch objects and like sense, you know, what you know what that object had in the past, like what, you know, who interacted with it, what, what its relationship was. And mm-hmm. uh, sometimes Cal will like mutter his own dialogue, like, oh, it appears such and such was blah, blah, blah. And sometimes you'll mm-hmm. actually hear like the voices, like, um, like for instance, yes. there's one, there's one I remember in particular that just, that just sunk my heart. When you, um, you find a crash set Jedi Star Destroyer and you find a clone trooper helmet, yes yep. i know i felt the same yeah i was like oh no <laughs> and, and you and you and it's and it's before order 66 and you just hear this yes. just regular clone dialogue and then all of a sudden you hear the clone like hold on i'm getting a transmission from emperor for, yeah. or, or, for chancellor palpatine and then that's when it cuts mm-hmm. off you're like oh yeah it's really sad and they use the same clone voice actor from d the bradley clone baker and, the goat and it was like i was just like oh my god and i knew he was in the cast because i looked up the cast before and i'm like am i gonna see some like clone crap because that's gonna break my heart and of course it did I was, so yeah i i remember that when we reached those memories and i'm just like oh god this is so rough and also in cal's memories too with the clones mm-hmm. was really rough as well well we'll get we'll so. get there soon we'll get there soon but uh, but yeah, and then you you know as you're exploring the ship, you actually learn that that's like a major part of why the ship crashed. So Order sixty six happens, the clone the clones turn, and um, you know as a result, um, uh, uh, the two Jedi's on board they send the ship they send the ship down. I can't remember if they mm-hmm. both perish or not, or if just the Padawan survives. Uh, the Padawan he. The the master died in the Padawan like in the Padawan's arms, but the Padawan was injured, so he died from his injuries a short time after. Gotcha. Okay. I'm remembering right. Gotcha. But yeah, and th- and so that and again, so that's like a you know a part, of, and the game does a lot of these short storytelling segments as well, where you'll learn about little, mm-hmm. like every you know every little structure, every little device you encounter has like its own little story to tell, and that's another thing that reminded yeah. me a lot of metroid prime in particular because that um or that that whole trilogy does something very similar to where you know you have a very you have a very basic basic narrative on top of that but you have all of these little narratives contained inside that have their own little stories that you can explore and like once Mm -hmm. and you know once you like have an understanding of all of them they start to give more clarity to that bigger narrative at play and that and that that definitely reminded me a lot of um yeah, particularly that prime trilogy in regards to that, and and this ship I think is one of the best sequences where um you know where it does that. 
So you're exploring. I so you're exploring this crash Jedi um, starship. I think they're called Venenators, Venenator class starships. That's right. Yes. Awesome. Um, so you you go deep down into the, to this Imperial facility from there, and you encounter the numbered sister again. I can't remember what what her name is, but it's it's round two. You lost to her the yeah. first time. You're going at it again. You're still you're still at a disadvantage, but you hold your own a little bit more. She's about to kill you before BD1 at the last second manages um, to hack a force field between the two of you, and you get a uh, yeah, classic saved your yeah butt. literally <laughs> saves your life. And uh, like that, you get a classic Star Wars dialogue moment, and this is where our first major twist is revealed. So we learned we learned before that Seer cut herself off from the Force because uh, she lost her Padawan Trilla. We assume that Trilla was dead, but that is not the case. In Star Wars fashion, everyone is more related than it seems because the Ninth Sister removes her helmet, and it is none other than Trilla Sunduri. Dun dun yes. dun. Yeah, because like I'm pretty sure you you're you're kind of learning Seer's story, and um, it's kind of unfortunate how she told it and how it actually plays out and how it actually turned out to be. But um, I just I did look it up just so we we have our facts straight. Trilla is the second sister. Gotcha. Um, there's so there's so many. You do fight the ninth sister, but uh, there's so many of them sisters brothers. I can't keep track of them either. But um, yeah, that's a whole math equation to out, figure them out. Yeah, when you find out that this is Trilla, her her Padawan, uh, Sears Padawan, you're just like, what? What is happening? And she tells you that Sears a liar, and so you're just like, what is happening? You know, because you're starting to like look up to Seer as, you know, Cal's instructor and guiding him back into using the Force, you know, after he lost his master so horribly. So yeah, that was definitely a good, a good plot twist. That was a very good moment. Yep, and then as you make your way into the temple, Seer is also, um, is also, like, um, destroying the temple, like, as you progress. So the first, the first temple you explore, it's pretty much just you exploring the temple on its own, maybe dealing with some right. Zepho security forces, but there isn't really anything else you have to worry about. Not the case here. You very much have to deal with Imperials as well as um, Trilla, like, you know, destroying the environment and trying to halt your progress, like, as you go. And um, you make your way through the temple, but just as you're about to get back to your ship, um, you get in a fight with a random bounty hunter, and... There's multiple pathways you can take, but all three, oh, yeah. but all three of the pathways that you take are always going to be guarded by a bounty hunter. So it's impossible. Mm -hmm. It is impossible to escape the sequence, but you'll lose every time you have to. It's part of the story. They will tranquilize you, tranquilize you, and you wake up um, on an unknown spacecraft world. I can't quite remember. I don't remember. It just looked like Sakaar. There's a lot of Thor connections. Right? Yeah, yeah. Now that you say, I do get some Sakaar vibes from it. Yes. <laughs> Even like yeah. the announcer guy definitely reminds me kind oh, of the yeah. Grandmaster. 100%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so basically, uh, you, you, wake up, you wake up on this unknown planet. You find out that, uh, that Grief is in debt to some very bad people. And as revenge, they've kidnapped you. And they are forcing you to do a Roman Coliseum fight against a bunch of creatures that you've already fought before. Um, with uh, some Star Wars rock music playing, and some Star Wars alien rock yeah. music playing in the background. Um, you do that, you you take them all out, you get back with the crew, and you confront Seer about this, and she finally tells the truth about everything that's going on. And I believe after that, you do your second trip to Kashyyyk after this. 
Um, yeah, I think so. And this is where you learn the double jump. You, cause you, they finally got a hold of the, um, chief. I can't remember what Tarful. information that he has. Yeah, that that Anna wanted you to go find. But that's that's the point of that. You learn some double jumping. You find this giant bird. Don't remember what the bird's called. Me um, neither. You climb their tree. You climb their big old tree, and it's cool. Well, you don't just climb that tree. You also slide down that tree because. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you know we've we've had our our confrontations with the second sister up to this point, but we haven't really confronted the ninth sister past um mm -hmm. past the opening. Uh, but she is pissed. <laughs> she is not happy. Yeah. Um, no, bueno. She wants she wants that promotion. Uh, she wants our head on a stake. And um, so she starts by um, shooting the whole tree trunk, and we get um, some Super Mario sixty four sliding uh, down the down the tree as we avoid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really, I mean, really, like you, you got to have the slider theme playing during that. It's it's too perfect. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so you're sliding down you're you're sliding down the tree, avoiding avoiding all that. Uh, and then finally, you you make your way to the top of the tree, and you get on a one on one counter with her. I don't know about you. I think this is the hardest boss fight in the game. <laughs> I only died once. I um I figured I, she had a lot easier pattern to figure out than than Trilla. Really, in my opinion. I thought interesting. So. I I um, had a lot easier time with Trill than I did with the with the ninth sister. Okay, interesting. I definitely struggled more with Trilla, but. Uh, I, maybe it's just our different gameplay yeah. styles or whatever. But um, I, yeah, she was kind of, to me, she was like, I understood why she was there. I kind of wish we had more Inquisitors that came after us because it was just Trilla and then this ninth sister. So it kind of felt like, I, I kind of wish we had a couple more just so it really felt like the Inquisitors were after you this whole time. Because um, that's what's going on in the back of Cal's head is they're after him, but it kind of feels like they're not when you only fight two of them. Um, it was a good fight. Um, I really liked it. Uh, there's a, there's a point where you cut off her hand and I was like, oh, there goes Star Wars with the hands again. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> and, um, and then also she kind of talks about like making the, like the dark decisions, you know, kind of making, turning to the dark side kind of stuff. And unfortunately Cal is like, he kind of has to make a choice with her and he force pushes her off the tree. And I'm like, he, I'm, I was thinking he's killing people all up until this point. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, he struggled with the ninth sister for a I, second. I feel like Probably Star Wars, because... I feel like Star Wars does that a lot where it's like these characters, yeah. these characters are just slaughtering so many people. But then all of a sudden there's this one particular character that's important. And suddenly it's like, oh man, if I kill this person, I'm bad all of a sudden. It's like. I think it's because the character points it out, maybe, because that's what she did. She was just like, you, like, you could be like this, you know, and win and Cal's kind of like, yeah, shoves her <laughs> off the tree, you know. <laughs> I it's just it's giving me flashbacks. Star Wars, Clone Wars, and Rebels in particular is so guilty of this. <laughs> yes, y yeah, because okay, first of all, I love Rebels. Same. You can't see him, but I have a I have a chopper down there, and he's a Rubber. homicidal maniac. But we all love him, so <laughs> it's fine. Oh, dude, Chopper, dude, Chopper is a psychopath. He's a straight I, up psychopath. I, I love him though. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you do that, and then I believe, uh, I believe you do your first trip to Dathomir after this, and this is where we finally meet Marin, the um, uh, the last major cast member we're going to meet on our adventure. Um, so Marin is for those who haven't watched the Clone Wars, uh, the Night Sisters were um, were a tribe of female Force users who practiced. Um, a specific type of the dark side of the Force that involves like potions and magic magic and whatnot and they were yeah. and they were ultimately slaughtered by uh the separatists led by general grievous mm -hmm. 
um, on the orders of Palpatine because he thought that they, um, in particular, Mother Talzin, who was kind of like the uh, the matriarch, was was too powerful, mm-hmm. and he needed them off the chessboard. Uh, Marin is one of the few surviving Night Sisters in this massacre, and so immediately you land on the planet, and she's understandably incredibly hostile with you, um, a, a particularly because of someone else that uh, she met beforehand mm-hmm. who she no longer trusts, but. But she's immediately hostile to you, and her as well as the um, the the Dathomirian warriors, which uh, which are uh, based off the Zabrax, which is Darth Maul's um, species. Right. Uh, yeah. They they attack you, and th- these guys have a very interesting uh, fighting style with like the laser bows and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember if you can reflect the bows or not. Can can you do that? You can. You can. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't remember if you could or not. Um, but yeah, these guys, uh, the pair, the pairing is a lot more difficult with these guys and they will also swarm you a lot more easily. They're very, they, hit hard. they are very aggressive. Um, we're, we're not talking like Assassin's Creed villains where, you know, they'll all surround you, but then they'll all go like one at a time and they'll wait for their partner. Like, no, they will, they will like gang up on you. And so you have yeah. to like, you have to like space them out and, you know, take them out one at a time. It takes a lot of patience to do so. But once you start to get a hang of it, you'll get used to it. Um, she also use, uh, Marin also uses her Dathomirian magic to uh, um, re uh, reanimate the dead, which is something uh, something from the Clone Wars um, that the Night Sisters did as well. And so those become yeah. a target as well. They're, they they look scary. They're really not that difficult. They look more scary than they actually are. But, right. Yeah. But yeah, the the first time you see them and they start hatching out of their little cocoons, like like it's really creepy. And there's also some obvious foreshadow. Like I remember. I remember, like that was one of the scannable objects in that game, and uh, you can scan it. It's like, oh, it appears there's like a decomposed tissue. Great. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. oh well, we're on Dathomir. I think I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember watching those episodes in the Clone Wars, and I was like, I don't care for this group of people. And really bad. But like, I I just thought that the Night Sisters were kind of, like the way they practice and the magic they use is kind of like really grim and macabre and kind of just like I wasn't a fan. Um, and the and the way they use the Night Brothers too is pretty sad. Like, you oh find yeah, out more about Maul that way is in in him and Savage, and it's like kind of it's kind of sad, uh, on their part. But yeah, so I wasn't like a fan. So when I went to Dathomir, I was like, I don't like this place. But then you meet Marin and you're kind of like, oh, that sucks. Like she's one of the last few that and she was like a child when all this happened, when her whole all her people, all her sisters, her mother were slaughtered, you know, so and it's like one of the one of the things I love about her is you kind of get to know her in a similar trauma as Cal's that way. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's and so you do so you come back to you do your second trip to Dathomir like very shortly after your first trip. It's a much mm-hmm. much closer condensed than the than the Zepho and Kashyyyk trips. But throughout the adventure, um, you know, um, Marin, I don't want to say starts to warm up to you, but she starts she's she starts taking down slowly taking down more and more of her barriers, and mm-hmm. finally, and so you learn that the reason that she doesn't trust you is because literally her entire life she's been betrayed by people with lightsabers whether it be the yeah. empire led by general grievous who slaughtered the night sisters or where whether it be a new character that you meet shortly after Marin sends her people after you malikos mm-hmm. malikos who is someone who came to the planet um 
kind of falsely idling as an aide, but was actually very much deep into the dark side of the force and wanted to control the resources for himself. And because of that, she just doesn't trust force users in general, but it's through your actions and how you've dealt with your trauma that she's able to warm up to you. And in particular, the big moment where this comes to light is where we finally learn what really happened during Cal's journey. So you enter, you attempt to enter the Zepho temple for the first time. And you see, uh, you see Jaro Tapal. You know what? I'm I'm remembering what the sequence is now. So we're we're getting to it now. So you enter the Zepho the Zepho Temple for the first time on Dathomir, and you encounter your old master there, or at least a projection of him, Jaro Tapal. Yeah. And yes. you're in a one v one against him again. You're you're not winning this fight. You're not supposed to. No. <laughs> yeah. And basically, in this force in this force vision, um, he has Cal at a stand at a standstill, and it's because Cal cannot let go. Basically, he keeps mm-hmm. he keeps trying to win this fight against him, but you can't win a fight when you're supposed to let go. And ultimately, this projection cr- literally crushes Cal's lightsaber. And when we go back to reality, mm-hmm. we actually see Cal doing it himself. So yeah. I thought that was like a really cool cutscene transition there. And now Cal's like, well, this sucks. Uh, now I can't <laughs> enter the temple. The temple and my lightsaber is destroyed. Well, mm-hmm. uh, we're we're done. So yeah. So we go back to our ship, and Seer says, like, no, we can still construct you a new lightsaber. I know a place, and I can't remember the plan off the top of my head, but it's one that first appeared in Clone Wars, and it's yeah, Ilum. Ilum, yeah. thank you. Yeah, and this is basically. Yes. Uh, basically, we learn about this in Clone War. It's a planet. It's a planet that harvests kyber crystal, or not harvest, but they it naturally grows kyber crystals. And it's part of a Padawan's uh, uh, journey, like part of their test to go to the planet and find these kyber crystals on their own. And so, Seer takes mm-hmm. you there to find a new kyber crystal and construct a new lightsaber. And uh, we get some more really cool environmental storytelling where we can actually like scan parts of the environment. We can actually hear some of these Padawan journeys. I, I could be wrong. I think you even hear Yoda at one point. I think so. I know there's another Jedi with them, I think. But um, usually Yoda is the one that takes the Padawan to Ilum. So, um, yeah, he does I'm so in the Clone Wars. I remember that. Yeah, but Cal also says from his memory that Yoda took him there. So maybe that's what we're remembering. Mm-hmm. I, I can't be sure. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so you go through this temple you um you you finally you finally make it to the the kyber crystal but then i can i can't remember quite what happens but cal ends ends up getting submerged in like freezing water and i i can't i can't remember how he gets in there but he's doing that he he just kind of has wrong footing at the wrong time and falls through and lands in water gotcha um yes and i mean it's so cold and so debilitating but the force is guiding him through his younger self to go that's right and then yeah and you can actually see his younger self like give like actually pull him out of there which i thought was a really cool uh visualization there Mm -hmm. so cal fine pretty sure his younger self says also says trust me which i thought was cool because it was like the force saying trust me let's go Mm -hmm. you know i like that so yeah he he makes his way out of there he finally finds the kyber crystal and then it breaks (laughs) yeah that was depressing and and after the Cal and Cal's like at rock bottom, like I just I just almost died for this thing, and it just breaks like that. And then BD One comes up to him, and his final memory is unlocked. And this is where 
Eno like talks about his entire plan about how he erased BD One's memory and how he sac how he sacrificed himself and whatnot. And kind of, and I, I can't remember how this happens, but somehow this like wills Cal to like repair the Kyber crystal. I can't remember the full sequence of events there, but so uh, he just he gets a little bit, you know, more motivation from realizing that BD One chose him because he BD One's task was to choose somebody to trust in order to unlock his memories. So he's like, "You trust me, Seer trusts me, Grease trusts me. These these Jedi sensitive Force sensitive." kids are going to trust me you know like i have to i have to do this and he doesn't repair the kyber crystal it's how he makes the two lightsabers that are that connect together because he also has sears lightsaber now mm -hmm. sears yes that, that that is important so yeah i don't think he i think he uses them both the separate pieces for it i don't think i don't remember if he repairs it or not gotcha okay yeah so yeah, Cal repairs that, and actually, we got uh, about 10 minutes for my meeting, so I'm going to start speeding things up as we make our way through. But well, I think we can do that, because we're on the last third of the game right now anyways. Yeah. Yeah, Cal repairs the lightsaber. We now have the detachable double-bladed lightsaber, and we find out that there's Imperial presence on the planet, and that kind of leads, mm -hmm. kind of leads not, not necessarily a classic Metroid escape sequence, because we're not on a timer, but it has kind of those similar vibes where... You know, mm -hmm. we're, you know, we have to get out of this planet as fast as we can and uh, forces uh, beyond us are converging on us and it's a, it's a fight to the finish. So we make our way off the planet, we go back to Dathomir, and at this point we make our way through the temple and it's with this knowledge that Cal has learned that he's finally able to like take that last barrier down between him and Marin and where, where now Marin is finally starting to gather his trust. And they, they both take on Malikos, who's been drawing power at the center of the temple. And this is where we learned about the Zepho getting, you know, kind of becoming too power hungry themselves and eating yes. eating themselves alive, not literally, but in a metaphorical sense. And we kind of right. and we see Malikos kind of going down that same path, and it's we have to destroy him before he becomes too powerful. So, you know, we do some WWE tag teaming him, we take him out of the picture. And then after that, it's back to Bagano. Back to Begona. We have all the keys to unlock the secrets. And somehow Trilla is already waiting there for us. I can't remember how she knows we, we, we would be there. But nonetheless, she's waiting for us there. And she jacks our holocron. And and she's taking mm -hmm. it back to the Imperial... Uh, or uh, the, the Inquisitor Fortress, whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. uh, which also appears later in Kenobi. But nowhere near as yes. cool as it is in this game. Yes. Um, but like, I loved watching Kenobi having not played that game and people are like, oh my God, it's like from the game. And I was like, okay, cool. I can look forward to that in the game. And it was very similar, not as cool, very similar. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked that part. Cause it's like, that's the, that's, this is the, this is it. This is the, the ultimate factor. You've got to go, you've got to retrieve this holocron or it's lost to the dark side. Um, I love the connection with Marin. Marin is my favorite character. I love the parallel story between her and Cal. I love that she, now that we know the, the name of the second game, I love that she calls her and Cal survivors mm -hmm. of their traumas, of what happened, what the Empire did to both of them. That's what she calls them. And, um, and you know, she, you could see her kind of opening her heart more to not only Cal, but the rest of the universe, because she leaves. She leaves that Dathomir, which she's been on her whole life. So that's cool. And then, yeah, you get to this, you get to this final face-off moment with Trilla. You're trying so hard to kind of bring her back to your side, talk some sense into her, but she's so far gone. There's, you could tell there's a part of her that wants to, but the dark side is so compelling that 
that she's unable to until the very end for her anyways. Yeah. And we really get the, um, the final pieces of everyone's story here. So as you enter the temple, True. as you enter the temple for the first time, um, you kind of get uh, a more elaborated version of that initial Zepho vision you were talking about, about perhaps the danger of exposing the children in the hall the holocron. And you actually get a vision of a potential future that might happen if that happens. And it's uh, it's not pretty, and it doesn't it's it doesn't shy away. It's it, it's a bit graphic. I'll I'll say that. And yep. And so we have another we have another encounter with Trilla after. Is it so? So does this next part? Does the next dream sequence does that happen in the Zepho Temple, or does that happen in the the it Imperial was, Fortress? It was, it was in the Zepho Temple, gotcha. and then that's what urges you to go fight Trilla for the final time. Gotcha. So so during this final fight with Trilla, you, this time both of you are in a standstill, and you end up grabbing her lightsaber, and unintentionally you accidentally do some forced psychometry in the process, and you learn, you learn Trilla's entire backstory. And what I love about this next sequence of cutscenes is every everything in this game is all shot in third person, Except for this one cutscene, and it's so effective that when you um, do the force psychometry on Trilla, you experience literally everything from her point of view, and mm -hmm. it is brutal. It's really it is sad. heartbreaking. Like, yeah. So basically, so basically, you see, you see Seer, Seer, and them like on the run after Order Order sixty six. Um, you see the Imperials finding her. You 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 find um, Trilla. Finding out that Seer basically betrayed them, not intentionally, but basically betrayed them and told them the location. You see her getting tortured, like in the first person view. Like it is, again, the game does not shy away at this point at all. Mm -hmm. And then finally, in first person, they they meet her up with Seer again, and you actually see her transforming into the Inquisitor. And at this mm -hmm. point, we see Seer almost turn to the dark side, just in agony, watching her apprentice literally be transformed in front of her and mm -hmm. it's it's just it's heartbreaking and but so effective at the same time yeah yeah it really it really tells you how how hard it is to let go that's like the biggest you know jedi thing in order to follow the light side is letting go because if you can't you um you fall to the dark side and that is an issue that Trilla obviously had and an issue that Seer is struggling with and why she cut herself off from the force. All right. Three minutes remaining before my meeting. Let's speed run through this last part. So we go to, go we, we're in the final area, the Fortress Inquisitorius. It's very clearly a final area. Um, Trilla has the holocron. We need that so that the children of the force are not exposed. So we 1v1 Trilla. We do win this fight this time because we've grown as a character. And you know, uh, you know, we think we've done it. Yay, we did it. And then all of a sudden, and you hear a very familiar piece of music. I believe this is the only recurring piece of music from uh, the Star Wars films, but you hear uh, the theme of um, when um, Order 66 is first, um, uh, is first enacted. I believe it's called Anakin's Fall. And you see, and you see Darth Vader coming in from the background um he uh kills us uh, uh, he kills trilla for you because he's disappointed in how much she failed and she's basically like avenge 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 me but yeah she's still on the dark side but but still like somewhat there was, there was a pull yeah there was a pull for her to come back and i think vader sensed that 
Uh-huh. So he killed her. Yep. Yep. And so Vader's like, um, I'm Darth Vader. You're a nobody. Um, surrender or die. And Cal's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should probably do that, but doesn't. <laughs> and so, and so he tra- obviously like he's getting nowhere. Um, right. Uh, he tr- there's this there's this one sequence in particular. So so Darth Vader is trying. I can't remember what he's doing, but he's like trying to force. He's trying to force choke you, I think. And you're trying to like force pull an object to crush him. And without right. even looking at it, he just like he just stop. He just like slowly pulls his hand up and just stops the object, just like that. And just like my God, they portray Vader as such a force of nature at, at, in this game. Yes. Again, another. I was screaming. And yeah, he's terrifying. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think this is even better than the Rogue One sequence. Like he is an absolute mm-hmm. monster in this finale. And this basically, we were talking about Metroid escape sequences. This is the escape sequence right this, here. Yeah, you can't. I would agree. You can't fight Vader. <laughs> you just run, and the entire environment. He's just using the force to just tear apart the environment around you, and it's just like this tornado of chaos. Uh, so you make your way. You make your way to the water tunnel. Um, you just barely escape after. Um, after um, Seer almost sacrifices herself, but you're but you both mm-hmm. are able to be rescued. You get on the ship, and now Cal has to make an important decision: do we do we follow the follow the children of the Holocron, or do we destroy? And of course, Cal chooses to make to destroy the Holocron. The correct decision. Yes. And now our new crew, along with Marin, are going to make their way in Jedi Survivor. Allison, I have a meeting in one minute. Quick summary summary of the game before we head off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it's a fantastic game. Go play it, <laughs> especially with Survivor coming out. It's got obviously a lot of connections to Metroid and other games. So, I mean, for every all the Omega Metroid listeners, I think you would enjoy this game. Yeah, as you all know, Omega Metroid, I've been wanting to talk about this game for a while, so I'm glad we finally did. And uh, again, regardless if you're a Star Wars fan or not, I think you're going to enjoy this. But that is going to be all for us tonight, folks. Sorry for the uh, quick mad dash exit. You know, life uh, life does take precedent at this moment. But, you know, we appreciate you all for listening. Uh, you can follow uh, Omega Metroid at Twitter, at Omega Metroid. You can follow me at Duminal Cross, Andy Spateri, at Spateri316, Dakota, Dakota Latsky, at Dak City. Allison, I know you have a Twitter, but I don't know your, your Twitter at, handle. Yeah, I'm at uh, Al- at Allison Aletha, and also Andy and I are at the, the Zelda Cast. Yes, absolutely. Go check out the Zelda Cast if you want to complement your Metroid knowledge with some Zelda drops as well. Check us out on YouTube and join the Discord as well. That'll be all, folks. Thank you so much for attending. Bye bye. <laughs>